This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 17. Episode 47. This is Writing Excuses, the linguistics of disability. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Chelsea. I'm Fran. And I'm Howard. And today we're going to be talking about how to talk about disability. There's a couple of different models out there in the world. Um, We've got another essay for you to uh, read as a supplement to this, um, which is also the linguistics of disability or empathy and sympathy uh, that... Uh, that Fran has written. I highly recommend that you listen to that as a supplement to this episode. But let's first talk about the idea of a medical model versus a social model when talking about disability. So medical model means that when you're talking about the disability, that, that the disability is something to be fixed. It is an illness. It is something that needs to be repaired or corrected. And this comes from the medical community. The social model of disability holds that the problem is actually the way society is structured, that society itself is what disables people. Uh, For instance, someone who is a chair user, totally fine on flat surfaces. But if you have something that has a ton of stairs, the stairs are the problem. It's not the chair because there's definitely ways to to navigate without that, uh, without, without stairs. So the idea is that uh, that you have two different ways to do that. And one of them basically says, this person is less than human and needs to be made human. And the other says, this person is totally human, um, but maybe we should build our buildings another way. Does anyone want to, uh, like, talk about some ways that that reflects in the fiction that that we see or that we write, some failure modes that we can sometimes run across in in fiction. To tie this to the previous episodes, um, especially the body horror episode, the 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 problem that needs to be fixed, the thing that is too scary to be embodied except in horror, is kind of what um, the extreme end of what we're talking about. Um, and what we were talking about, and when we were asking in the previous episode for people to shift perspective and think about what it's like to be inside and still have agency and still have choices, we're talking about shifting it to a more social model of horror, actually. I think in terms of linguistics, the uh, when we wrote um, the the second edition of Extreme Dungeon Mastery, we talked about ways to include everybody at the table. And sometimes, um, coming back to the word chair, sometimes the chairs at the table are not one size fit all. Somebody needs a special chair. And and we we did a little role play in the book where someone says, hey, that, that chair doesn't work for me. I'm sorry to be a problem. And the host says, ooh, you're not the problem. The chair is the problem. We can fix the chair. We don't need to fix you. And I come back to that all the time. Um, 
when someone apologizes, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not good at stairs. Oh, I'm sorry, I need to stop and take a breath. I'm sorry, you're not the problem. The problem is this context that we've created that renders you unable to participate at the level that the rest of us are participating. So let's, as a group, try and change that. And I'm circling back to that, not because it's, it's a fiction, but because in my own head, by making that change in the way that I talk, in the way that I, uh, in the way that I write about myself, I am positioning myself, hopefully, fingers crossed, to write better about it when I put it in my fiction. There's a, a great TikTok that I, I recently saw by uh, Jeremy Andrew Davis, which we're, we're going to link to in the liner notes. And he, he explains it by saying, you know, um, when Superman comes here, he, he has a different set of abilities than, than, than humans do. He has super, super abilities. But if you if you imagine uh, that if you flip things and, and adjust canon a little bit and humans have to go to Krypton and everyone on Krypton has Superman levels of ability, then you have things like people are, you know, the, the uh, able to stop a, a locomotive. So you go to try to pull a door open. And as a human, you can't pull the door open because it's designed for someone who can move something with a thousand pounds of force. Uh, leap over buildings with a single bound, there are no stairs because everybody just jumps up. And they're like, well, why don't you just jump up? What do you mean you relate to this meeting? And and that's that's the kind of thing that you're thinking about with the the social model is that that, you know, the the person's normal is is their normal. And they are trying to exist in a world that is designed for someone else's normal. I, I think absolutely um, that, and stemming from that, that existing in the world um, where where that is normal, there there's a really great essay up at the CIFWA website um, where Valerie Valdez talks about why writing in second person um, is important for marginalized people, and this is particularly true um, for disability. Uh, narratives and including my own, when I wrote clearly lettered in a mostly steady hand, it's narrated by a very angry Fiji mermaid in the middle of a cabinet of curiosities. Um, but she's narrating for the audience an experience where second person's invoked um, and, and the reader loses agency over time. And that, that experience of the, um, that particular use of second person and loss of agency is something that I wanted to invoke as sort of an empathetic reaction to what um, it feels like to be disabled in certain ways. And that was, that was sort of shifting gears a little bit on people. And it made a lot of people, including a couple of reviewers, really uncomfortable. And I kind of am okay with that. I'm actually very okay with that. Um, in part, because that's the difference between empathy and sympathy. Sympathy is something that I'm doing, you know, to make myself feel better a little bit. And empathy is something that is much more about the, the person's experience that is is having the experience. Empathy um, is inherently uncomfortable. Yes. I hate it a lot. When the people around me hurt, <laughs> I hurt too. Yes. What a stupid sense. I don't want it. <laughs> but you do. You do want I, it. I know I do want it. <laughs> what, what do you mean? Why, why do we want empathy? 
Chelsea? We we want empathy so that we know. Like I rely on my sense of empathy to understand, you know, okay, everybody's really happy. I feel their happiness too and that, you know, everything is good. But there's also like bored and frustrated and I feel that too. And so I that's like a cue. It's like, what do you need? Yep. At this point. It's like I I get that you're feeling really frustrated here. How can I help you? Um if you don't have that, then you just continue to sail on with, you know, your whatever. And then you're a jerk. <laughs> a world with no empathy would be like driving at night and nobody's cars have headlights or tail lights. Yeah. And if you do, if you do proceed without empathy, if you proceed with something else, that's when you find, you know, your let's say if your character has no empathy, but they want to express some sort of concern or connection with a person who is going through a thing, you know, that's when things like, I think you're such an inspiration or you must be so strong start to come out of people's mouths. And that Chelsea, what you said about, you know, how are you feeling about this? What can I do to help you? It puts that agency back in the hands of the person who needs it rather than sort of getting the, 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 kudos gold star stickers for being you know someone who's forcing a an opinion on the person who doesn't need the opinion well it's something that you said in your your essay fran when you were talking about the um you know you must be so strong is that it it's a distancing thing yep and um and i i had not thought about it in that way but that it, that it is about when you're when you're approaching things from that angle, it is about reframing them in a way that you are comfortable engaging with them, rather than the the ways in which the the person needs you to engage, and that that empathy is much more about listening. I was like, that's a such a good um, simple frame uh, for for like evaluating the, my own choices about things that I say in response to people. Um, shall we take a moment to pause for the book of the week? And then, Chelsea, I want to see what it was that you clearly had a thought, and I want to I see what that was uh, when we come back. So our book of the week is Being Seen by Elsa Shonason. And this book, uh, Elsa is a deafblind activist. Uh, this is a, a memoir, a series of essays. And um, she's uh, she, she sort of, she fences, um, she writes. She does all of these things that you would think uh, in in a book you'd be like, oh, really? Uh, but but this is her real life, and um, this book has been. It just recently won um, a major award in uh, Washington State. It was nominated for Hugo. It's been up for major awards all over the place, um, and she just had a, a documentary. A short documentary about about her life and and covers some of the ground that is in this this book. It is wonderful, highly recommended. Uh, Being seen by Elsa Shonison. All right, so coming back, Chelsea, what's on your mind there? Well, I just the, the wheels are kind of turning, right? Because I'm always thinking about the social model of disability, um, because a lot of the times, like our physical spaces and environments are not designed for everyone and it it bothers me um because before i moved in here 
I lived in a building that was like accessible. All public areas were designed with accessibility in mind. And this was the point that really drilled it home to me. Accessible spaces are accessible to everyone. They make using the space easier for everyone. So why don't we do it? <laughs> why do we not do it? And and so I'm always thinking about this now. I'm always thinking about this when I'm doing world building and design. I'm like very deliberately thinking about like how good is the design of this environment? And when I say good, I mean how many people can just use it without thinking about it or having to do anything special. The reason we don't do it is that the people doing the design don't have needs that stray very far from what they perceive the baseline to be. It's the it it's the what was the show the the IT crowd or something where the all the motion detectors that keep the lights on won't detect people with brown skin and so uh, you, you had to have a white person walk into the room periodically to keep your lights on. Why? Mm-hmm. Because we're not testing these things with the full range of people who are going to be using them because the designers are not comprised of a demographic that fits who's using it. Well, and the other thing that we, you know, we, we talk about is like people one of the the things that happens is that that people will design for the 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 one the people that they see around them and if you are designing spaces that people cannot access then of course you are not going to see examples it's like well you know but how often do we really get people who uh who have problems with stairs coming here it's like well <laughs> You would get that more often if you didn't have stairs. <clears throat> they stopped yeah, coming. The, the answer to the question is built right in. Um, one of my more local examples, the apartment that I live in is directly in front of a separated bike lane. It's one lane of traffic wide. They took an entire lane out of the road and turned it into a bike lane. And it's two-way. And it's actual. And there are like clear directions as to how you cross intersections when you're using the bike lane. Notice that I don't say when you're a cyclist, because what happened was when the downtown cycle network started introducing these things so that you would get across downtown using these safe bike lanes, all of a sudden wheelchair users and motorized scooter users came out of the woodwork. There is always somebody on the roll in the bike lane. And it's so great. Yeah, I saw that. Because sidewalks suck. Sidewalks suck. Yeah. So that in... uh, in, When we we threw a pandemic and the whole world came and we started (laughs) doing doing, uh, conventions and meetups and things remotely via Zoom... We met people we had never seen before, people who have always been with us, but have never been with us because they couldn't attend in person, because they couldn't 
they couldn't commute. They couldn't, for whatever reason, uh, they couldn't get there before, but now that they can get there with a camera and a microphone, they're part of the community again. And boy, howdy, if we learn nothing else from the pandemic except that, I will count myself happy because that's so important to us as a society. But did we learn it? Did we learn it really? Does no, it because uh, I want to think we, some of us the did. the pandemic is over <laughs> and we're not like, we're doing in-person events. And I mean, me personally, I'm so glad to see people's faces. I'm so glad to be in their physical spaces, but I kind of also wish that I had like, kind of like an iPad strapped to my chest so that I could bring somebody who couldn't come physically yeah. with yep. me. Yeah. And this is, uh, having, having been doing some con running during, uh, during this year, the, uh, the, the big barrier to that is actually the internet because, mm-hmm. or, and specifically the amount of money hotels want to charge for, uh, for Wi-Fi. Um, to do, uh, just as an example, the Discon 3, um, we had to spend $40,000 just on internet, uh, which a smaller con can't do. And, uh, and so, you know, all of these things are complicated, but most of them are complicated because someone has decided this is a way that they can make money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also that it is a problem that doesn't apply to them. So let me, uh, let me wrap us up with a, a, a science fictional example that is a, also a real world example. When the astronaut program started, uh, astronauts had to have 2020 vision because all of the requirements were based on being a test pilot. Then a funny thing happened in, two, in the, the 2000s when we started doing long, long duration missions, astronauts' eyes changed on orbit and they started to require glasses. They no longer had 20-20 vision. And also the astronaut corps started to age and become middle-aged and people in their 50s and they suddenly needed bifocals. And they changed the requirements to become an astronaut because it turns out that you don't need 20-20 vision to function in space. But really what it turns out is that the people who were making the decisions suddenly had the thing that they had considered previously to be a disability. So when you are thinking about your own fiction, uh, you need to be thinking about it from a couple of different places. As we've talked, you're thinking about it from an empathy point of view. You're thinking about it from the social model point of view. And that brings us around to our homework. Chelsea, I think you have the homework for us, right? I do. I do. Um, now, if you go all the way back to episode two, we had the homework that was write a scene with two characters, one with a disability and one without, and write it from each character's POV paying particular attention to the setting. What I want you to do is I want you to write as an insider versus writing as an outsider or writing a medical model approach to the setting versus writing a social model setting. Take that setting and the person with the disability and the person without the disability and write those spaces again and see what happens when the world building shift changes 
I love that assignment so much. Yeah, it'll be a, it'll be a lot of fun. Um, this has been writing excuses. You are out of excuses. Now go write. For this episode of Writing Excuses, your hosts were Mary Robinette Kowal, C.L. Polk, Fran Wilde, and Howard Taylor. This episode was engineered by Daniel Thompson and mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.